Before the lesson, we'll sing number 716, Sing to Me of Heaven. If it's convenient for you, let's stand for this song. Sing to me of heaven, sing that song of peace. From the toils that bind me, it will bring release. Burdens will be lifted that are pressing so. Showers of great blessing or my heart will flow. Sing to me of heaven, let me fondly dream of its golden. Sing to me when shadows of the evening fall. Sing to me of heaven, sweetest song of all. Sing to me of heaven as I walk alone, dreaming of the comrades that so long have gone. In a fairer region among the angel throne, they are Man, I was just thinking, after that first song, we needed to have a prayer, didn't we? <laughs> Y'all going to have to learn that song. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. We are indeed grateful that you're here tonight, and I think I have a lesson uh, that will be encouraging to you. It's good to have Dean and Tiffany Cromwell with us tonight. We've got others that have family members that are here. Please look around and visit. It's good to have Brother Paul with us and... and uh, We'll continue praying for his good wife and for both of them. We love and appreciate them and their dedication to Christ. Dean and Tiffany are up there in South Dakota. They're really in a mission field. Uh, you, ought, they, you ought to let them tell you about what it's like after growing up in, in Tennessee and going to church up there. Said the first several fellowship meals, they went through all the stuff that they brought. People up there were afraid to eat it because they didn't know what that was. They didn't know what barbecue was, y'all, barbecued pork. It's hard to believe, isn't it? Man, we need to re-educate our country in some places, don't we? 
But anyways, it's great to have them, and, and uh, we've, uh, this congregation is helping, at least in a small part, support that church uh, in just a small way, but we're, we're grateful for them being here. It was uh, Ronald and Sherry's 46th anniversary today. Is that right, 46? Okay. And uh, that means uh, Dean's 45, I guess. No, <laughs> no kidding. But anyways, we're grateful that they're here. Please see them because it uh, was a year uh, since they were here the last time. And, you know, Tiffany had some serious health problems. In fact, she uh, could have easily have lost her life. And we're grateful that uh, they were able to correct those things and that she continues to improve. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew, the 13th chapter. I know we've got Luke 17, 5 through 10 up there. But we're going to talk about mustard seed faith. But I want you to open your Bibles and notice this. Jesus begins teaching in parables. And so you have all of these parables in Matthew 13. And several of them are repeated in Mark and Luke. In fact, Matthew 13 really is a whole chapter as we've divided chapters on parables. But he explains that. He starts out, it says, the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat um, beside the sea. Great clouds gathered to him so that they got into a boat and sat there. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables saying, and then he goes and tells the parable of the sower. Notice verse 10. The disciples, after he tells this parable, they come to him and they say to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. When you study the parables, what are you looking for? You're looking for the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. And it's interesting how Jesus does this. He says, um, for you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For to him who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from him who has not, even what he has will be taken away. That is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, hearing they did not hear, and they do not understand. Now notice verse 16, Jesus tells his disciples this, after he quotes from Isaiah, confirming what he had said from the Old Testament. He said, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous men have longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and they did not hear it. And then he goes on and explains to them the parable of the sower. Listen, our Lord is amazing, isn't it? I mean, you think about what he was doing. Here he was teaching. His enemies were there. There were people who had no interest. Jesus taught in parables. Why? Because those who were really interested in knowing the truth and really interested in doing what God wanted, they could hear what Jesus had to say, and they could understand it. The enemies of Christ, those who had no interest, I mean, it was just wind going by. It was just a speech that was made that nobody paid attention to. It reminds you of the book of Revelation. You know, at the, at the, the last book of the, of the Bible, the New Testament, written in apocryphal language. It was about the Roman Empire, how God was going to destroy the Roman Empire because it was persecuting Christians. Now listen, some Roman could pick up the book of Revelation and he could read it until the day he died. And he would not understand anything about what it said or the message. But a faithful member of the Lord's church could just hear that book being read and know that God was going to take care of his people. Would know that they would be persecuted, but know that God would help them victorious be victorious and know that the kingdom of heaven would stand. Now, look at the parable that we're going to study tonight. I'm going to read two of them because the 11, I don't think we'll get to that one, but these two are two parables that teach kind of the same lesson. And that's what we want to notice. What is the secret of the kingdom of heaven that Jesus is teaching? Notice verse 31. It says, another parable he put before them saying, 
The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. And then he told him another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All this Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter that which has been hidden since the foundation of the world. And so tonight we're going to talk about mustard seed faith. But I want you to, I want you to look. I want you to look at. Um, I want you to look at a couple of other passages. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 17. Jesus tells this parable in three of the Gospels, but he talks about mustard seed faith at least two other places, and he's not telling a parable. So whatever this mustard seed faith is, it's very important to understand, and it's crucial to being able to be a successful Christian in the kingdom of God. Notice Matthew 17, beginning verse 14. It says, and when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him kneeling down and said to him, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's an epileptic. He suffers severely for often falls into the fire and into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long will I bear with you? Bring him to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go except by prayer and fasting. Now think about that. Listen, the apostles had the power to perform miracles. They had cast out other demons. They had healed other people. They had done several things to which we would be in absolute amazement. And they could not cast the demon out of this child. And when Jesus did it, they said, why couldn't we do it? And he said, it's because of your lack of faith. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. We've got faith. Well, what are you talking about, Jesus? What is mustard seed faith? That will cause you to be able to do things that you could not imagine. Now, turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. Okay? Luke chapter 17. Notice, if you will, verse uh, 1. Luke 17 and verse 1. Then he said to the disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in one day and seven times in that day returns and says to you, I repent, you shall forgive him. And the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. What were they saying? We can't do this. You're asking something that we can't do. Notice Jesus' response to that. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots, and it be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And which of you, having a servant plowing, tending sheep, 
would, would say to him when he has come in from the field, well, I come in once and sit down to eat and I'll wait on you. But no, he says, prepare something for my supper, gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and afterward I will serve you. Does he think that that servant, because he did the things that were commanded, does he thank him? And Jesus says, I think not. So likewise, when you have done all these things which you are commanded, we are unprofitable servants. We have done which is our duty to do. Now think about that for a minute. If you have faith as a mustard seed, it would be simple for, or it would be, you could forgive somebody who sinned against you seven times in one day. It just seems to me that this is interesting and somebody may go from here and say, Jim, I think you missed some points and I got news for you. I'll miss a lot of points. But it is powerful that Jesus talks about mustard seed faith. You know, I listen to people on TV, mustard seed faith, you know, it's all about being able to do a miracle. I don't think it's about a miracle, you know, because they had power to do miracles. Why couldn't they do that one? Because something was wrong, not with the power that God had given them. Something was wrong with their faith. And when it comes to forgiveness, is it something they could do? Yes. Why couldn't they do it? It wasn't because they didn't have the power to do it. It was because of something that was lacking in their faith. And so we talk about mustard seed faith. You know, the Palestinian mustard seed was, was set out in a field, not in a garden. Why? Because it grew so big. And it wasn't actually the smallest seed in the world. This is a parable. It's saying in comparison to what you get, it was the smallest seed in comparison to what is grown. And I mean, it's just incredible. You know, we've got corn seeds. One little seed, what grows a stalk of corn this high? And, and how many kernels does it reproduce? Hundreds. You, you, you've planted pea seeds and bean seeds and okra seeds. And you've seen the things that come from them. So Jesus is saying it's important that a small seed is powerful. And, and it can produce something that will lodge birds. It will produce something that you could sit under, as it were, a shade tree. All from a tiny seed. And, and it seems that these parables are an answer from Jesus to his critics about the kingdom of heaven. Because all these parables are talking about his kingdom. On one side, you've got the conservatives. You've got the Pharisees. They don't like Jesus. They don't like his kingdom. They don't like what he's preaching. They don't like his credentials. They don't like anything about it. They want to discredit him. They can't discredit him because of the miracles. They can't discredit him because of the questions that he can answer and the questions he can ask. On the other side, you've got the religious liberals. You've got the Sadducees. They don't like Jesus. They, you know, He's not as big a problem to them as he was to the Pharisees, but they don't like him. They don't believe what he's saying. They don't have his view of scripture or interpretation. And so there it is. Jesus begins talking about the kingdom that he's going to build, which is really the only kingdom that God is ever going to build. What are the lessons? Well, here, here's one lesson. Um, one lesson is the, the importance of little things. The importance of little things. You know, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? People are not impressed with anything unless it's big today. Isn't that right? You know? Somebody advertises, hey, we got the smallest car dealership in Hardin County. You know, you're going to be impressed with that, aren't you? We've got the smallest bank in Hardin County. Oh, yeah, I sure want to go there. You know? Yeah, everything's got to be big today. 
You know, it, 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 some of you have been to Cedar Point with me. I remember when they had the world's tallest roller coaster back when I was a boy. Well, guess what? Someone built one taller. So now there's six roller coasters that are taller than or any roller coaster in Tennessee. But why? Because they had to keep building them bigger and bigger so they could claim to have the tallest roller coaster in the world. People are not impressed with small things. What do you got to do to get in the Guinness Book of World Records? You got to do something big, don't you? You can't make a sandwich that feeds 200 people. You've got to make one that feeds 2,000 people. Everybody wants big stuff. Isn't that right? You don't want the smallest house in town. You don't want the smallest car. You want the biggest one. And so one of the lessons from this is Jesus talks about the importance of small things. It's a false idea that if you start something and it's going to be successful, it's going to be pleasing to God, that you must start big. Think about Matthew 25 in the day of judgment. Jesus divides, says God will divide people in the right hand on the left. Oh, it'd be hard for us to make judgments and divide people into eternity, wouldn't it? It'd be easy for God. But it isn't interesting, the criteria of judgment. Jesus says, come ye, blessed my father. Inherit the king that's been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry. And you fed me. I, I, I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I, I was a, a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and in prison and you, you ministered unto me. Listen, these things were so insignificant to them, they couldn't even remember when they'd done it. And, and their response was, when did we see you like this? Oh, Jesus, you are big. And if I ever saw you, I would have done something big. I never saw you. You must be mistaken. And Jesus says, oh, no. As often as you did this to the least of my brethren, you did it unto me. Is that not incredible, y'all? I mean, the, the, the eternal life with God could, could be based upon things that we would consider totally insignificant. Why? Because I'll tell you why. Because they're not insignificant to God. And so Jesus told this parable that one of the secret things about Christ's kingdom is that small things in his kingdom will have a powerful influence. And even though his kingdom is small, it would grow and it would be large. Little things can grow. Zechariah 4 and verse 10 says, you, you know, um, I've got it there. You know, don't, don't discharge the day of small things. And he talks about Zerubbabel. I mean, here's the deal. You know, the Jews, after, the, after Judah was taken into captivity there for 70 years, they thought it was over. Never again would they have a kingdom like David's kingdom or a king like David. Never again would they have a kingdom like Solomon's kingdom. They wouldn't have the wealth. They wouldn't have anything like they had it before. And so when Zerubbabel comes back and they bring this handful of people back and they build this temple that in comparison is a little bitty old temple, you know, compared to David's, uh, David and Solomon or Solomon's temple, then, then everybody is saying, yuck. That's what they're saying. And what does Zechariah say? Don't despise the day of small things. Zerubbabel has brought back a remnant from which will come the Savior of the world. The most important days that have ever taken place in this world are yet to come. And you think it's a small thing? When God is in the process of doing the greatest thing that he envisioned even before he created the world? So don't despise the day of small things. What a powerful lesson.
There the Jews are, thinking it's never going to be like it was. It's never going to, we're never, and, and, and they're, they're in the very process of being part of what is going to bring Jesus Christ into the world. Listen, kindness and compassion and understanding and patience are not only the things that help you help people physically, those are the same traits that help you help them mentally and help you help people spiritually. And I don't care how great a message you got or how many scriptures you can quote or how much money you've got, if you don't have those small character traits in your life, you'll never influence anybody. Amen? And if you've got those in your life, as Jesus said, it doesn't matter how little money that you have, you'll change the world. And that's how his kingdom would grow. Second thing is small beginnings. I mean, before I get off at that one there, oh, go back, go back. Uh, you know, no, yes, right, no, go to the next one, I'm sorry. Yeah, you were, you were doing the right thing. Just think of a, 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 a small beginnings, okay? Great things usually come from a small beginning. Go to this, this, this slide before that. Yes, good, I'm sorry. You know, you usually even pay attention to those things. But I'm working between my, my Bible on my phone and my notes and that, you know, it's not all there together like it's supposed to be. But you don't even know that, do you? You just think I'm crazy and old, but I'm not. I am crazy and old, but I know what I'm doing. Almost. Listen, a lot of great things have a small beginning. You know, one of the great stories is Charles Darrow. And I kept thinking, Clarence Darrow. Clarence, no, it's not Clarence Darrow. It's Charles Darrow. He was in the Depression. He had been successful. He had a good life. He had a good home. It reminds me of Ted Robinson. Ted Robinson was in, lived in New York. How many of you remember Ted and Edwina that were here? Ted Robinson lived in New York. They lived in Manhattan. They had an apartment there. His father was wealthy. They had done well. They had a boat down at the marina there in New York. They had it all. And in the Depression, they lost everything. And they ended up having to move into some small place. And his daddy weathered it fine. But I remember, Ted told us, you remember? He said his mother never got over the loss of it. And, and, and Ted said he could remember when he was walking with his daddy one time in the streets of Manhattan that his daddy grabbed him and hugged him up because somebody jumped off of one of those high-rise build, high buildings and killed themselves. Well, here's another man that was there in that depression. His name was Charles Darrow. And he lost everything. And, and to be able to feed his family and provide for them, he walked dogs. He fixed appliances. He, he, and, and they had a new child on the way. Oh, uh, he, he dreamed to try to overcome the depression that the country was in and the depression that was he was in. And do you know in the middle of his dreams and dealing with all this, he created the game Monopoly from the memories of Atlantic City. And he died a multimillionaire. What does it tell you? Sometimes great things come from very small, very small and humble beginnings. I was thinking of so many examples of that. <coughs> Think about Sam Walton. I mean, in my life, I never dreamed that there would be some Kresge store or Kmart or Spartan or the ones I grew up with in Michigan that would be the biggest company in America. And some guy out in Arkansas, small town in Arkansas, ends up creating the biggest business in the world. Now, how do you get that? 
I remember when Glenn Campbell made that song, Arkansas, The Land of Opportunity. My roommate was from McGee, Arkansas. He played it in the room all the time until I told him one day, listen to Glenn Campbell. He's making fun of Arkansas. And he listened to that song. All of a sudden, I heard that record smash into a million pieces against the wall, man. He never played it again. I didn't believe Arkansas was a land of opportunity, but Sam Walton came up with an idea that changed the world. Yeah, the South will rise again, amen? It's interesting, small beginnings. You know, think about Jesus Christ. He was born in a stable. He had no formal education. He didn't have any of the degrees that we've got. He couldn't tell you what college he graduated from. He never left his own country. He wasn't rich. He died like a criminal. He was killed by his own people. And now there is nowhere in this world <coughs> that his gospel has not gone. And think of all the small things he taught us about. I mean, he stopped his disciples one day and wanted them to watch a widow that was putting a penny in the contribution. They would never have noticed it. <coughs> It would never have made any difference to them. It was a small thing. But Jesus knew that a heart that was dedicated to him would have great implications and great powers. <clears throat> when he left this world, when he left this world, he left his kingdom in the hands of 12 men. 12 men. 12 men. Now, you know, today, if somebody started a kingdom... And they said, listen, I'm going to create an organization that's going to overcome the world. It's going to defeat the Roman Empire. It's going to defeat every religion, every culture, every name, every government. And, and it's going to be the kingdom that will be the greatest kingdom that's ever been. And I'm starting with these 12 men. And where did you find these men? Well, these, these four guys here are fishermen. And as Roy reminded me today, in the lifetime of those men, they took the gospel of Jesus Christ around the whole world. Man, a cup of cold water, brother. <laughs> I know you hated for him to bring that because you thought I was fixing to quit. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't think his I don't think he'll lose his uh, I don't think he'll lose his reward for that. On the day of Pentecost there was only seventy believers. I was reading an article the other day. I was watching a thing on television that showed do you know that in China right now they think that there's possibly 110 million people who are believers in Jesus? Do you know that the Chinese Bible and the Mandarin language is the most printed book in the world right now? I, I watched this. I was amazed. And, and, you know, and I thought, well, the Lord's not going to come until that gospel gets. I don't believe he's coming until the gospel gets to China. I got news for you all. The gospel's there. We got some people who sit in our audience have been over there teaching in China and they studied the gospel with people, amen, and taught them. Now, how would that happen? Now they invite you to come over there and you can do that. It's incredible, isn't it? Small beginnings, incredible things can take place. Well, let me see what the last slide is. Think about us. Our teens decided for one of their benevolent activities that they plan every month, hopefully, that they wanted to raise 300 to $500 to help hungry children. Very small, humble beginning, very small, humble plan. 
But when they got done, they raised 25000 They went this week and packed that food that they're sending over there to those children. What does it tell you? Great things still come from small things. I mean, they weren't planning. If somebody would have said, listen, I've got a plan to raise $25,000 a day, everybody would have gone, hmm, he's loco, you know, he's lost it. But isn't it incredible what happens when you take small plans and put them in the hands of God and you pray about it? You just think about Steve Worley. I mean, Steve Worley went as a missionary to Nigeria. One congregation in one place. And now there are hundreds of congregations in northern Nigeria. And, and that's where Muslims are persecuting Christians. They've tried to withdraw from the government and form a Muslim state. They'd still like to do that. And not only have they trained people there, but they're training people in northern Nigeria, in Joss, as well as we can train them at Freed Hardeman or Harding or David Lipscomb. And they're sending them into other countries because you don't have to have a visa to go from Nigeria into the other countries in Africa. Now, if somebody would have told 25 years ago, Steve, who, you know, is a Navy chief, would have said, well, I'll tell you, boys, when I retire from the Navy, this is what I'm going to do. Can you imagine those guys laughing at him? Think, yeah, you'd be able to draw disability too, man, because you're crazy. Isn't it amazing what can happen from a small beginning? Man, I've, some of us have been to that campus. I've been there so many times from one building to two buildings to libraries to, you know, it's like, well, it's not what could be done over there. It's what in finality will be done. You know, Savannah Church of Christ is just one congregation. And I, and I praise God for you because years ago we figured out that we could do whatever we wanted to with God's help in the kingdom of heaven from right here. Amen? We don't have to go somewhere else. We don't have to, send, we don't have to go buy somebody's ideas. You know, with God's help, we've got enough people right here that can figure out what to do. As long as we get together and work together and stay unified, there's no limit to what can and will be done in the kingdom of God. And then just think about Bernice Nance. I mean, I remember Mark and I, when we were teaching and Miss Bernice would come in there, she got coming in our class every time on Wednesday night because we gave her the opportunity to talk. And then when she'd say something, we'd all laugh and two or three people would be trying to fix her coffee. Who would ever have dreamed that when Bernice Nance left this world that over $100,000 would be placed in hands of men and women around the world to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who had ever thought of that? Boy, if you'd have wrote that in the newspaper, people would have cracked up. And now, just look at what can be done because of small things. Well, let me close with this. I know you like that. Oh, there was my country music song. Alan Jackson, It's All Right to Be Little Bitty. Okay, there it is. Now, you think about it. You, next time you hear that song, it's a happy song. But isn't that exactly what Jesus was saying to his disciples? It's all right to be a little bitty. You don't have to be a big shot. You don't have to be a know-it-all. In fact, God can't really use those people. All he wants is you with your heart dedicated to him. And just like our teens, there's almost nothing that God cannot help you accomplish if you're willing to call on him. With God, nothing that we do for him is a little bitty. I mean, a cup of cold water. Jesus said, I was thirsty. You gave me drink. And they're saying, wait a minute, we never saw you. Yes, that's small, insignificant. And so the, the, the question is, just like the loaves and fishes, God can accomplish anything that he wants if we will place ourselves in his hand and trust him. Final slide.
The question is to us tonight, do we have mustard seed faith? That we have a faith that can overcome every obstacle to Christ and his kingdom and just trust God that when we do our best, he will take care of the rest. This morning, Wes challenged us with Paul's statement in Philippians 1 verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's mustard seed faith, isn't it? I mean, I'm not worried about it, Paul says. Yeah, I've got some things to think about. If I had my druthers, I'd probably druther go on to heaven. But I've got faith in God that no matter what happens in my life, God's going to use it to the benefit of his kingdom and to those that I really love and care about. And if we live with that faith, we can be happy, we can be content, we can be peaceful. And if it's just sending a card or calling somebody on the phone, or dropping by, you have no idea when you do something for Jesus where it will end and how many people will be saved. Listen, thank you so much for being here tonight. Thank you for your love and service to God. Thank you for the encouragement that you are to me, to our young people, to people in this town that are trying to live for Jesus. We've got a lot of folks here tonight with tragedy in their lives, facing difficult times. One of the great things about being the children of God is our comfort and encouragement to one another is part of what God intended for us to do. It's the part of what God knows that if we just do those simple things, it will not only save our souls, it also save those who are around us that need our help in so many ways. If you're subject to the invitation of Jesus tonight, if you need him, if you need to come back to him, whatever your needs might be, we encourage you to come while we stand, while we sing. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, I still will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow. No turning back, no turning back. Will you decide now to follow Jesus? Will you decide now to follow Jesus? Will you decide now to follow Jesus? No turning back, no turning back. The Lord's Supper has been left prepared for those who have not had the opportunity to partake of it today. If you will exit to my right, you will be served. I'd like to um, say thank you again for all those who are here this evening, visitors, members alike. Uh, we'll meet again at 7 o'clock on Wednesday. We're going to close tonight with number 979 after Dustin's announcement. All right, real quick. We need a few good men, maybe women tonight. We're getting ready for VBS, and especially if you're really strong. There's going to be some men like, yeah, I'm strong. We're getting our VBS stuff out of our VBS storage building and bringing it back to the gym. I could use maybe a truck or two and put it in some of mine. And 
And instead of us taking like two hours with a few kids, I was going to try to just get a few of you strong men. I know you're out there. I'm seeing a few of you. I, I looked around. I only saw like four. I'm being honest with you. But we could use whoever can help, okay? Uh, just take just a few minutes to help get everything out, okay? And, and seriously, if you can help this week, uh, if you can just help one day, at um, you guys that can build, we have so much talent in this room right now. Uh, and it can help our Vacation Bible School. Come see me. We have a lot of jobs, a lot of things to be doing this week. Uh, and love uh, to make our Vacation Bible School as good as it can be. Thanks. Wayfaring Stranger will be dismissed in prayer. I am a poor wayfaring stranger while traveling through of woe, yet there's no sickness, toil, nor danger in that bright world to which I go. I'm going there to see my father. I'm going there no more to roam. I'm only going over Jordan. I'm only going over home. I know dark clouds will gather round me. I know my way is rough and steep. But golden fields lie out before me, where God's redeemed shall ever sleep. I'm going there to see my mother. She said she'd meet me when I come. I'm only going over Jordan. I'm only going over home. I'll soon be free from every trial. Body sleep in the churchyard. I'll drop the cross self-denial and enter on my great reward. I'm going there to see my Savior, to sing His praise forevermore. I'm only going over Jordan. I'm only going over home. Bow with me, please. Father, we continue in thanksgiving. We thank you again for this Lord's Day. We thank you for this opportunity that we've had to come together to worship today. Father, we're thankful for your son. We're thankful for his word. We're thankful for the apostles that planted that seed of Jesus' word some 2,000 years ago. We pray, Father, that that word will continue to grow as a forest throughout the world. We 
pray, Father, that you'll go with us as we leave this place, that you'll continue your blessings on us. Forgive us and watch over us and protect us. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.